Okay, what a joy it is to be with you guys tonight and to sing his praises together and to, to play that game. And, and just to see, see you all here tonight brings much, much joy to, to our heart. Um, it's kind of hot in here, isn't it? Is it a little hot? Okay. Let's just take deep breaths. And if you have to, in the middle of, of, of the lesson, just do a jumping jack or two. I will understand. Okay, if you need to splash some water on your face uh, very moderately, okay, uh, without making a mess, do what you need to do to stay focused, okay? Um, so with that point, I encourage you now to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 26 is our text tonight. Matthew 5, 17 to 26. And the main question tonight, as you can see on the screen, is, are you a good law-keeping murderer? Now, that question might not make sense to you right off the bat, but I pray that it will make sense as we go about this lesson and as we end tonight. Are you a good law-keeping murderer? Doesn't make sense, does it? It might in a moment, okay? At least it should, okay? A couple other questions to get started with us as we, as we move along tonight. What's easier, okay? You don't have to, don't answer this out loud, but just think and answer honestly. What is easier? If I gave you these two commands, these two laws, ready? Love your brother or take out the trash. Don't answer. Do not answer. In your head, fine. Okay. Next one. Love your sister or clean your room. I said do not answer out loud. Last one. Honor your mom and dad or just don't kill anyone today, okay? Now, Jesus, in the middle of teaching the Beatitudes, that it, you know it's a good way to remember Beatitudes? Attitudes that ought to be in the believer's life, okay? In the middle of teaching the Beatitudes, and just he just finished telling the people here in Matthew 5, and you've heard this two weeks ago, right? You are the salt and light of the world. Be salt and light. The people here are starting to itch, maybe starting to think, uh, Jesus... Are you doing away with the law? Like you're telling us to like be gentle of heart and, and poor in spirit and, and be peacemakers. Uh, uh, uh. Just, are, you, are you done with the law? Just give us the law. Give us the Ten Commandments that Moses has given us. What's this talk about our heart's attitude? You, the prophet of God, Jesus, is this why you came? To set aside the law of Moses and to bring in these beatitudes? To ignore the law? Jesus, are you going to ignore the law? Here's the thing. Jesus is not ignoring the law. What you're going to see in a moment as we move into this next section is Jesus will explain the full, deeper meaning of the law. So in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, I'm going to ask you a quick question. Why did Jesus come? According to verse 17, quickly, why did Jesus come? Read the verse, give me the answer. Why did Jesus come, according to verse 17 of Matthew 5? Yes. To fulfill the law. He says to the people, look, the people didn't even ask the question here. Do you notice that? 
And he just blurts out, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets to do away with the Old Testament. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill, to live out the law. He came to keep and obey the law perfectly. All previous prophets, priests, and kings failed. This one did not. He kept every detail and aspect of the law of God. Do you realize that, dear students tonight? Every single aspect of the Old Testament, all the you shalls and you shall nots, including the fifth commandment, he kept perfectly. Uh, Pop quiz, what's the fifth commandment? Yes, sir? Oh, boy. Okay. Now, Honor your father and your mother. He, he did that perfectly. Can you imagine from a little, little, tiny little tyke, Jesus, all the way up to big kids like you, teenagers, honored and obeyed his mother and father, uh, adopted uh, father, by the way, um, honored and obeyed perfectly. Can you imagine that? He kept the law, and guess what? He kept the law perfectly because of his perfect love for his father, and then that righteousness for obeying the law is then credited, given to you who repent of your sin and believe and put your trust in him. His righteousness is now yours because he got the A plus for you. It's quite incredible. So Jesus didn't come to set aside the law by his coming to earth, but to fulfill it, and so that we might more clearly understand it by his life and by his teaching here, which brings us to the importance of the scriptures. How much lasting power and authority does the word of God have, do you think? Well, look at verse 18. Look at Matthew 5, 18. How much lasting power and authority does the word of God have? Jesus says, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Did you hear that? Do you hear how big that verse is? He uses the ninth letter of the Greek alphabet, And then he uses the 10th letter of the Hebrew alphabet to prove a point. By the way, the the ninth letter is Yoda, the tiniest strike for the Greek, right? In the Greek language. And the Yod or Yod is the 10th letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And these are the tiniest strokes in the original languages of written scripture. And he says, until heaven and earth pass away, not the tiniest stroke of the law will pass away. It will remain in effect until everything is accomplished in it by me. He would do this by perfectly obeying every requirement of the law, dying as the final sacrifice for sins, defeating death in the resurrection, then by fulfilling every prophecy about the promised Messiah in both his immediate time right here and in the future. Because all is not over yet, right? The things in the book of Revelation hasn't taken place yet, has it? It will not pass away. Jesus is saying in verse 17, not only the ideas of God's word are important, but also the words. Oh, and even down to the very letters are vital. This shows God's high regard for his word. Let me stop here and ask you. The God who made you holds his word that high. Let me ask you, how high do you hold God's word in your life? How seriously do you take it? How how do you treat the scriptures? How does your life respond to God's life-giving word? 
Look at what Jesus says in verse 19, because this is a little a further test here for us. Ready? Look at verse 19. Huh. Is this you? Whoever annuls, like, does what, like, uh, uh, whoever annuls one of the least of these commandments in the scriptures and teaches others, yeah, you don't have to, it's okay. But these ones, yeah. But these ones, no. Whoever does this shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps them and teaches them shall be called what in the kingdom of heaven? Great. Do you see this? There are ranks in heaven. But guess what? There's no jealousy in heaven. <laughs> Amazing, huh? There are ranks. God determines the rank. Let me ask you this. Do you want to be called least in the kingdom of heaven or do you want to be called great? Not because you're going to be, hmm, but, but because you're going to be found loving the Lord Jesus Christ, because those who love the Lord Jesus Christ, guess what? Love and keep his word. It's vital. So this brings us to another question as we move right along. How can one even enter the kingdom of heaven? Keep reading in your Bibles. It's right there. Look. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Did you hear that? Your righteousness has to surpass their righteousness. Now, wait a second. Stop right here. Let's think about who the Pharisees and the scribes are, right? Scribes and Pharisees were externally righteous on the outside. What did Jesus tell them? He said, he said you clean the outside of the cup, but not the inside of the cup. That sounds like some of you when you wash your dishes at home, right? <laughs> you clean the outside, but you ignore the inside of the cup. Outwardly, Looks good. And then he called them whitewashed tombs with dead men's bones in it. Back then, in ancient times, they would make a carve out of the side of a mountain and a cave. It would look beautiful. Tombs would look beautiful. The artistry and the crafting, and it was whitewashed. And it was, but what was inside of it? Dead men's bones. That's what Jesus calls the Pharisees. It looks all good on the outside, but what about the heart? They obeyed outwardly. Matthew 6, if you go forward in your Bibles, Matthew 6, verses 1 and following, he says, beware of them. They just want to be seen. And by the way, they want to be seen so bad, they added 613 extra laws to the law of God. Do you know what one of those laws was, just for the fun of it? They would say, you cannot pluck a gray hair from your head on the Sabbath day because that would be work for you. And that would not be holy, and that would not be righteous. They were so righteous. In fact, the word Pharisee in the Greek language literally means holy one. But they were anything but holy. I mean, they looked real. Now, everybody from the streets said, oh, the Pharisees, look at how they pray, and look at how they... You're <laughs> right. So, understand this. Here's the point. The believer's righteousness, Jesus says, must be going beyond outward obedience to God's word to the inward conformity of God's word, to a love of his word, to where it's actually changing you. You're not faking it on the outside. Listen, the Christian life is not about doing things to be seen or in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. Just because you put a professional jersey on doesn't make you a professional, right? Just because you don't murder someone doesn't mean you're innocent. Jesus has just finished telling us in verses 17 to 20, 
that we just quickly went over, that we must live an ultra-righteous life in order to get into the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> Which points you and I to our great need for him and for his righteousness, right? Because we cannot live the law perfectly. He lived it perfectly for us. And now he's going to explain what the true kingdom citizen, who's a true son and daughter of God, looks like and lives like in light of this law that he's going to bring about right now. So that brings us to, oh, did that not work? Oh, there it is. Yeah, there we go. Go. That brings us to a question. Quick question, okay? Anyone ever struggle with anger? Oh, thank you for confessing. Thank you. Jesus will show us three sides of anger in this passage, okay? And as we can see here, point number one, I think this is quite obvious, right? Or hopefully it should be. Anger is what? Say it again. Evil. I don't think you believe it. Is anger evil? Yes. Okay. Point number one, according to verses 21 to 22, anger is evil. Look at what Jesus says. Look at verse 21, 22. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you, right? You have heard it was said, do not murder. Okay, we know that commandment. But I tell you, Jesus says, everyone who is what? Angry, Angry with his brother or sister will be guilty before the court. Now listen, there was no doubt among the hearers of Jesus that murder was evil, okay? Obvious. The worst sinner in the world knows that murder is evil. But Jesus introduces this new concept that anger is also evil. See, we have no problem understanding that murder is evil, sinful, and, and worthy of judgment, right? <laughs> but come on, isn't Jesus taking it just a little too far to say that anger, this, just, this, just the attitude and the thought of a heart is worthy of judgment? Isn't he taking that too far? He says in verse 22, he goes on from the heart, the thought to, to the verbal, okay? What's in the heart, by the way, will come out of the mouth, okay? James chapter three. He says, if you insult your brother or sister, and this doesn't just mean your biological brother or sister, this means anyone who's near you, okay? If you insult your brother or sister, okay? And you'll see this in the script, your scriptures. You might have the word Gehenna or, or Raka there, or good for nothing. Raka, if any of you have that in any of your Bibles, that word Raka, which Jesus uses here, literally means to spit. Kind of sounds like, right? Raka. Raka. If you just call anyone from your heart, through your mouth, Raka, you'll be subject to the court, meaning you will be guilty. Guilty. You're calling someone raka, empty-headed, dummy, stupid, good for nothing. It's as though you are spitting upon them. This is the language that Jesus uses. Then he says, whoever says you fool will be subject to <laughs> hellfire. Whoa, hellfire, fiery hell? This term hellfire is from the word Gehenna which referred to a trash dump 
outside of Jerusalem that was continually burning. Jesus said the judgment that we could experience if we give ourselves to anger and insulting could be like a continual fire that burns up trash. That's pretty intense, isn't it? Gehenna became a place where corpses of criminals, dead animals, and all manner of refuse was thrown in there to be destroyed. It was a place of burning sewage, burning flesh, and garbage. Maggots and worms crawled through the waste, and the smoke was strong and sickening. It was a place that was utterly filthy and disgusting to the eyes and to the nose. Dear students, this is what Jesus thinks about your and my anger. Just as a murderer is sinful because it is a physical violation of someone created in the image of God, so also insulting from your heart with your lips is sinful because it is a verbal violation of someone created in the image of God. That's right. How is this possible? How is this the case? How, how can anger possibly be considered as sinful as murder? Well, first, let's, let, I need to stop and make a clarification here, okay? Jesus didn't say that murder and anger were the same exact thing. Did he say that here? Did he say that murder and anger are the same exact thing? Yes or no? No. But he did say that they both were worthy of judgment, right? They are both worthy of judgment. Why? Because you and I, we, we are murderers at heart when we let sinful anger get a hold of us. So Jesus' point, that anger, the attitude of the heart, is that it should not be overlooked as innocent. Come on, we have to confess tonight. You and I, we've justified our anger. She did this, she said that, he did this, she said that. And we justify it and we say, hmm, and it makes me feel kind of good too to get angry and to let it out with my, with my lips, with my body, with my hands. Sadly, you know what? It does feel good. Sometimes I wish sin didn't feel so good, especially knowing what it did to my Savior. We justify it. We think, ah, it's no big deal. Why is anger evil? <laughs> because it's that fleshly, emotional volcano that erupts due to your and my selfishness, hatred, when things don't go my way, your way, or someone has wronged us, it is that sinful response to someone wronging us. And then you look at Jesus's life, look at how much wrong was towards him and how much evil was upon him. And he never once sinned in sinful anger. Anger is that unstable, swinging, creaking door that allows sin to come into our hearts, which leads to um, more sin including insulting, name-calling, and even physical harm. There is a righteous anger, yes, but let's face it. Our anger is usually selfish, vengeful, and full of hate. Think of how little your anger this past week had anything at all to do with the kingdom and righteousness of God. 
you're not normally angry because things are in the way of God and his kingdom and his righteousness. You're angry because something or someone has gotten in the way of something you crave. Something you, that you think will bring you satisfaction and, and happiness. Your heart is desperate for something and you get mad when your pursuits are blocked. Now, this may seem small to us, but it's not small to God. The problem isn't the situation, okay? The problem is me. The problem is you and how you respond to that situation that might be stirring sinful anger within us. So how do you view your anger? You have to stop. You have to think, please don't let this skim by tonight, okay? And just boop, boop, and then let's move on to snacks and refreshments. You have to think, how do you view your anger? Dear students, we should fear we should fear our anger. We should, we should be scared of sin. And not just because it breaks relationships and, and it even sends people to prison all across the world when anger gets its full-blown thrust, but because, as the scriptures say right now in your Bible, it could lead to judgment. That is, it could indicate that we are not truly followers of God that we are not born again, depending on how we view our anger. If we claim to follow Jesus, we must truly follow Jesus, including his commands to flee anger and insults. And the true believer will be in the increasing habit of killing his or her sin of anger. We must pursue holiness, not only in our actions, because let's face it, a lot of you here tonight, I know I was when I was your age. A lot of you here tonight, maybe, are pretty good at looking pretty peaceful and everything's okay on the outside. But inside, the anger, the sinful anger rages because you're not getting what you want or someone has done this or done that or said this or said that. We pursue holiness, not just in our actions, but in our hearts, because that's where it all begins. Jesus said in, in, in Mark chapter 7, verse 23, out of the heart proceeds outbursts of anger. So point one, anger is evil, and you must recognize anger within, and that it is worthy of eternal judgment and not make excuses for it. <clears throat> so point two, as we move on to verses 23 and 24, Anger can be reconciled, okay? It can be made right. It can be made fixed. It can be fixed. Look at verses 23 and 24. Jesus says, So if you are offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. You see what he's saying? Jesus says to reconcile an issue with your brother or sister. Do it. There is hope and even an expectation that anger can be reconciled between you guys. <laughs> Mother and father, neighbor, you name it. Jesus believes so highly in this reconciliation and in this making peace that he actually instructs us. Did you, did you hear this in verse 24? He actually instructs us to pause our worship of God in order to make things right between us and someone else. Stop your worship, he says. Now think about that. Think about that for a moment. God is worthy of complete 
unending worship in all the universe, and yet we are to put that on hold in order to resolve anger with another human being. And guess what? Doing that is worship. It's actually a part of your worship when you make things right. If we have anger, or if we are aware of someone else having anger towards us, we are to seek to make that right. Don't let it go. We are to seek to fix the issue. You know what Ephesians 4.26 says? Do not let the sun go down on your anger. anger. That's so vital. And that's, that could be a terrible habit that some of us could be making. I know I did early on in my life. Let the, sun, let the day pass. Nah, just go to sleep. It'll, it'll fix itself. No, it won't. No, it won't. And you know what the rest of that verse says? It says, when you let the sun go down on your anger, you give the devil an opportunity. You give the devil an opportunity. Dear students, how many issues would be solved in our homes if we would just seek to work things out, <laughs> to make things right with a humble heart? The resolving of anger between two people made in the image of God are, are extremely important to God. And it's extremely important to the true child of God as well. This is something that we must work at very hard. You know why? You know why it's, we have to work at it very hard? It's because of our pride. We think too highly of ourselves. That's what makes it extra hard. It's not always easy to make things right with someone, is it? <laughs> but we should keep trying, right? Because it's pleasing to God. It's what God wants, right? You know what Romans 12, 18 says? So far as it depends on you, be at peace with one another. Notice that in verses 23 and 24 also, Jesus doesn't say anything about who's in the right or wrong. Did you notice that? He doesn't say, oh, this person's right, so you can be sinfully angry and you can say these words. Oh, no. He didn't say anything like that. Why? Because when it comes to imperfection and sinfulness, we are all wrong. We're completely unrighteous. You know that? Without Jesus, we need his forgiveness. We need his righteousness, which should lead us to pursue forgiveness and righteousness in our relationships with others. Question, is that easy? Is that always easy? To pursue a right relationship with someone if there happens to be anger going on or something isn't right? Is that easy? Well, let me ask you this. Who told you it was easy to live for God, to lay your life down, to humble yourself, to seek the other person's forgiveness? Who said that that was easy? It's not easy because although we've been set free from sin and set free to live a righteous life, we are still cocooned by the sinfulness of the flesh, the world, and those around us. And, and we personally still carry in us this residue of sin. However, because we have been reconciled to God, we must fight to be reconciled with others. He's reconciled us to himself. God's command is love one another, forgive, seek to make things right with others, and then come and worship with clean hands and a pure heart. So anger can be reconciled and it must be reconciled if we are to live a life of worship unto our God. Next point, anger can have consequences, verses 25 
and 26. Look at verses 25 and 26. He, Jesus says, make friends quickly with your adversary, your opponent, while you're on the way with him to the court. <laughs> right? He's dragging, he's taking, you've sinned against me, you've done this wrong thing, he's dragging you. Make friends with him quickly on your way to the court, or your adversary will hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. What Jesus is getting at is that it is always better to work things out with someone without going before a judge, whether a human judge or God, the holy judge. A judge will examine us to see if there is guilt within us, and if so, there is punishment. It's always easier to make things right yourself with someone else before a judge has to. And you'll see this as you're growing up. You'll see this happening a lot in the world. You'll see people taking people to, to court to make things right. Now, this person did this against me. That person, oh, my car, oh, my money, uh, that, that, this, this, that. And the, and the other person won't, won't seek the forgiveness of the other person, won't seek to make it right. Just, let's just let the judge decide. And guess what? It's always bad. <laughs> It's always bad. Seek to make it right. Notice how severe the punishment will be, Jesus says. He says in the last sentence of our text tonight, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. Jesus, Jesus is referring to the debtor's prison. Someone did something wrong. You, you killed my cow on accident or on purpose. And, and you did, and, and the other person says, "Oh no!" And, and and then he's thrown in prison, and there's this way to work to earn back a right standing with that one that they've sinned against, and they work and they work and they work to pay off their debt, not until the last penny. Is that how you want things to go down, guys, <laughs> in your life? <laughs> no, this 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 is what what do you owe people? Perhaps tonight. Maybe, maybe take this, for instance. What do you owe someone? This is what we owe. Are you ready? When we wrong someone, okay? Are you ready for what, to understand what we owe people? It goes like this. Are you ready? I'm sorry. That was evil. What I did, what I said, that was unkind. Would you please forgive me? How hard is that? For some of us, it's harder. But even for the easy ones, it's still hard. Because we're a prideful people. Or even if you haven't really done anything, but you see that someone has something like against you and they're like not really at peace with you. How about this? Uh, friend, it, is there anything that I've done? It, is there anything that I've said? That kind of has distanced our, our relationship. Listen, the longer you wait to make things right, the worse the situation can become. It's always better for people to work things out in an understanding, humble, loving way, rather than to take it to the next level. Remember, Jesus, our creator, our, our very judge, our, our savior, tells us that it's very important to heal our relationships with others whom we've offended or who has offended us. Bottom line is this. You ready? There's no excuses for our anger. Bottom line, anger solves nothing but can destroy everything. 
we should deal with our anger before God deals with our anger. And check this out. The more the eyes of your mind are fixed on Jesus, the harder it is for you to get irritated and hateful and angry. Have you ever tried to pick a fight with a spirit-filled person who's filled with the word of God? Guess what? It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. You can't take them off. They're filled with the love of Christ. Now, real quickly, do you remember the story of what happened? Well, with what, for what Jesus did for you and I, the day that he was crucified, when the people were, were shouting, we want Barabbas. But guess who is Barabbas? Barabbas was a murderer, right? He was a criminal. He was a murderer, an angry, hateful murderer. But guess what? Guess who's Barabbas here tonight? Let's say it. Ready? You are Barabbas. I am Barabbas. They wanted sinful, angry, murderous Barabbas to go free and not the Savior of the world who was fiery, righteous, and holy. If you were to truly say this, who did Jesus die for? <laughs> Literally, you say Barabbas. He took literally Barabbas' place. But then the scriptures go on and on and on to say, that's just a picture of what he did for you who believe. You're just as guilty. I'm just as guilty as Barabbas. This is, this is our sin against God. And he took our place. You and I were Barabbas. And as bad news as that is, isn't it good news? Where, great, where, where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. <laughs> he took our place. So, just a couple points of application as we wrap up our time. Number one, confess your sinful anger. Solomon tells us there is more hope for a fool than a hot-tempered, angry man who is quick with his words. But John tells us, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, including your angry, discontented, sinful thoughts this very hour. And with that great truth, that should cause us to want to have that gives us grace-motivated obedience to live for him. Not law-motivated obedience, but grace-motivated obedience. He paid for the sin that I'm about to enjoy. I don't want to do it because it's been paid for. Confess, confess. Say what God says about your sin. Confess it. You get angry with certain people. Maybe you call them an idiot or a moron or whatever it is in your heart or out loud. Be honest, admit your sin before God and before others if necessary. And guess what? Because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, your sin is paid for. It's paid for. And you don't have to face what we just read earlier, the eternal wrath of God in the fiery hell that we rightly deserve because it's been paid for. Confess your sinful anger. 
And number two, repent of your sinful anger and deal with it. Ask God to guide you by his Holy Spirit, which is according to his word, like David in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and see if there's any wicked, hurtful way, constant way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. Is that your prayer? Is that your desire? Seek forgiveness and offer forgiveness. Anger not dealt with, dear students tonight, is like spiritual sickness in your heart. So don't let it stay there. And here's the remedy. Ready? Here, here is the medicine. Colossians 3. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Listen carefully. You will not increasingly kill, mortify the sin of anger that is within you if the word of Christ and his love and his mercy and his grace is not captivating your soul. You must first behold him who was crucified for sinners, wretched sinners like you and me, before you can start killing the sin that killed him. But praise the Lord, he rose again on the third day, conquering sin and death in your behalf and my behalf. And guess what? You can be killing your sin of anger starting tonight. Let's pray. Oh, merciful Lord, help us to deal with our, our sinful anger. We confess we have been an angry people. We've been an angry teen. Help us, Lord, to, to fight that rightly in light, in the, the beautiful, awesome, powerful light of your grace and kindness that you would stoop from heaven to earth to rescue us when you could have let us go. Lord, heal relationships here tonight. Our sin can so easily entangle us if we lose sight of you who lived out perfectly the law of love on our behalf when when we could not do so because of our selfish, mean, law-breaking hearts. Help us, Lord, to cast off all bitterness and anger and slander and instead to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as you have forgiven us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.